first scripture readings this morning come from the second and third chapters of the letter to the Ephesians. I begin in chapter 2 with verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And then jumping down to chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knees before God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of glory, God may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. And then one short verse from the ninth chapter of Mark's Gospel. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And God, if the words of this servant are not yours, then may you have a special word for us this day. We pray in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, it finally happened. This week, as I regularly do, I cleaned out the spam folder in my email box. It's the one that catches all the stuff that is sent to me because of my church email address, not because I've asked for it, but apparently I'm just a prime suspect. This time it only had 31 emails, but, and I knew this was coming, 22 of them were from a site called sermonai.com. It invites you to plug in your scripture passage and main point, and an artificial intelligence generator will spit out a sermon for you. Now, I hate to pass judgment, but that seems to me like the worst possible perversion of preaching. Every time I stand in this pulpit, and I know I speak for my colleagues as well, it's not because we have to come up with something to say, but because somehow in divine mystery and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I have some hope that our words, or better said, God's words spoken by me or my colleagues will be something that this particular gathered community needs to hear. If I ever stoop to AI-generated sermons, fire me on the spot. That's where I'm headed this morning, not the firing part, <laughs> but the particularity. A couple of hours ago, we baptized Ollie and Marin McComas. No AI generator was ever going to come up with their names because Ollie and Marin are not generic. They are our children, our babies, our responsibility. They are very specific to us and we have made very specific promises to them. 
And what we're inviting them into is a particular community of faith, part of the wide gathering of Christ followers across the world and across the ages. But this particular place is the one they will call home. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes to a particular faith community, or perhaps a handful of communities and congregations. Whichever the issue was common to them all, the divisions in the first century church between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. After Jesus' death, lots of people began to show interest in the movement he left behind, even Gentiles, which is kind of a catch-all term for non-Jews. Gentiles came from what the Jews considered bizarre religious backgrounds, or sometimes from no religious background at all. And the Jewish Christians argued that if those people were going to follow Christ, then they had to become Jews first, before they could become Christians. That meant obeying Jewish kosher dietary laws, keeping the Sabbath and worshiping in the synagogue. For men, it meant circumcision, which was no small factor. It was clearly the most significant controversy facing the church in the first decades of its existence. Because if non-Jewish people could become Christians, then who else? Samaritans? Tax collectors? In the past, when I've preached from the book of Ephesians, I've said that you couldn't possibly imagine the animosity between Jewish and Gentile Christians. But given our cultural landscape today, I bet you can. Who gets to be a part of the church? Queer folks? Lesbians? Proud Boys? Black Lives Matters protesters? Democrats? Republicans? Gator fans? <laughs> Does this throw the door open to just anyone? That's when Paul steps in with these words from Ephesians 2, reminding us you are members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. This is another place where the English translation doesn't quite capture it. In Greek, that you is actually second person plural. So in colloquial terms, Paul is saying, y'all are members of the household of God. To a conflicted church, Paul says, y'all means all. Gentiles and Jews, conservatives and liberals, a divided church in a divided culture there is room for everyone. It's written to all of us. Y'all are members of the household of God. Now, if you'll stay with me, I want to dip back into something I said about six weeks ago about what I see as the changing identity of the Christian church. What I said then is that for as long as I can remember, the church has held this unspoken rubric, believing behaving, belonging. First you believe, you make a profession of faith, and then you belong, you join the church, and then you behave. You act according to the morals or the guidelines of your faith community. 
But I've begun to su suspect that we have those words in a completely wrong order. What if we rearranged them to say belonging, behaving, believing? In other words, what if the church were first and foremost about welcoming people to be a part of a community in which they could find their own identity? That's what we're inviting Ollie and Marin to do. Next week, we're gonna welcome new adult members and don't we hope the same for them? We want them to be a part of this congregation and learn about what we hold dear and in the process, we hope they can discern who they truly are and what matters to them. That's belonging. If I feel like I belong somewhere and I have established relationships, then I want to act according to the values of that community. That's behaving. And maybe then because I belong and because I have learned how that community behaves, maybe then I can live my way into believing. Educators have known this for a long, long time. If a child feels like they belong, they perform better academically, they are more mentally healthy, they are more resilient. Ask any of our teachers. They'll tell you that's why they work so hard at making their classrooms a welcoming environment. And what we hope for Marin and Ollie, and frankly, for all of us, is a place to belong so that then we can figure out what we believe. We want Ollie and Marin to have a place where, as Paul says, they can be rooted and grounded in love. Belonging, behaving, believing. Now that may sound backwards to you, and if so, I'm sorry, but it lines up with my lived experience and that of a lot of folks I know, including a whole bunch of people who have responded to me since that sermon six weeks ago. What if the church, what if this church could become a place where people were invited to come and be a part of a community and build relationships and friendships so that eventually they could live their way into believing. What would it look like if our defining values were not about having all the right answers or behaving the right way, but instead about loving and welcoming all people? A couple of years ago, Ollie and Jen's mom, Ollie and Marin's mom, Jen, joined this church. She had been attending for a while after meeting Rachel's husband, Jacob, when they worked together at the UT Student Counseling Center. Jen and I had had coffee and a lot of conversation about what it would mean to join the church. And finally, the Sunday came when she and a handful of other people were ready to come before the congregation to be welcomed. And I asked them the questions of membership that I ask everyone who comes to be a part of this church. The first question is, trusting in the mercy of God, do you profess your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And this was back in the days when we were all still masking during the pandemic. So Jen's words were not heard by anyone, but she had alerted me in advance about her answer. What she said that day was, hope so. I hope so. 
I told her then, and I still believe, it's the most honest answer any of us could ever give. Hope so. It reminded me of when Ellie Morrow joined New Providence 20 years earlier. At the time, she was caring for an ailing husband and was consumed with those tasks. I asked her the questions of membership, and when I got to the question that said, do you promise to act, participate actively and responsibly in the life of New Providence Presbyterian Church? She looked at me and said, best I can. Best I can. Isn't that the truth for all of us? We're all just doing the best we can. In Mark's gospel, the father of a sick child tells Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Several years ago, one of our confirmands used that as her statement of faith for the session. I believe, help my unbelief. It's the truest thing any of us could say. If somewhere along the way, someone told you that you need to have your act together before coming to church or joining a church or being baptized, let me correct that. We are all just doing the best we can. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Amen?